Are we ready for Stephanie? We're ready for Stephanie. I didn't know whether you had anything else to add or not. So. No, you already introduced yeah. her. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for having me um, this morning. I, um, I'm really glad. I, I, I keep in touch with Magda on a regular basis. She's a dear, loyal friend of mine and also a, a prayer warrior for me. And I really love Magda very much. And I'm also excited to see Paulette because Paulette, I worked with her in hospice work. And um, I just, um, last week was the anniversary of my grandmother's passing. It's been 11 years. But when I first started with working with Paulette, I had just started the job in hospice as a social worker. And my grandmother got diagnosed with cancer. And I was so nervous <clears throat> because I had just started this job. And I thought, now I need to go and spend time with my grandmother and I went to Paulette and she was so wonderful and so kind and compassionate to me and was like listen we got this we know you're going to do your job but you go be with your grandmother and that meant a lot to me and um, also Paulette's leadership meant a lot to me um, so um, I'm just really glad to see her today and I'm glad to be here with you. Um, I wanted to just kind of get a sense of how many people in this group have actually lost a loved one to Alzheimer's or dementia. Okay. And then how many people are currently have a loved one um, that has Alzheimer's or dementia? Okay. And then how many of you are also caregivers to someone currently with Alzheimer's or dementia? Okay. So this month is um, actually National Family Caregivers Month. So um, my heart to all of you who are serving as caregivers, um, it's a very difficult role to be in. I actually last night um, had dinner with a really good friend of mine who happens to also be a social worker, and her mother has Alzheimer's. And I said, you know, I'm, ha I'm doing this presentation tomorrow, you know, um, <clears throat> what, what are some words of wisdom or things that you've experienced on this journey? And she said, first of all, you know, um, she was shocked and surprised by, she's a professional, but she said I was shocked and surprised by how much of um, in denial I was of my mom having this disease. She said that she started to see some signs, but she said I even she even knew there's a test that you that that a lot of times people do um, professionals do called a mini mental exam, and she had even done that on her mom and saw that there were deficits. But she said I still did not want to believe that my mom had this disease. Sorry, so. Um, so she said, you know, just the denial factor, but also just the grief that you feel when you have a loved one that um, has this disease. And, um, you know, they often refer to it as the long goodbye. And that really makes a lot of sense to me because you're just watching this person fade away. Um, and then, of course, she shared how important it is to get the diagnosis. A lot of times, People are under the assumption that, that this is just a normal part of aging, but it's not. You know, yes, it's normal to forget things sometimes, but this is so much more than that. And then the other piece is just how important it is to have support. That is critically important to have support. Of course, um, typically we reach out to our family, our friends, to our church, um, to other social groups. 
But it's also important to have professionals in your life that are trained to, um, to work with this population and um, that have the knowledge to help you with this. Um, that is so critically important. Um, I mean, lay people certainly can, can be there for you, but having professionals is really, really um, critically important. And we're such a, a youth-oriented culture right now but we are becoming an age-oriented culture. The number of the aging population is far going to, um, you know, be much more uh, prevalent than, than youth. And we have got to, as a society, start addressing this. That's why I'm so grateful that Magda, Paulette, that you all have a heart to see people learn more about the aging population, more about the issues. Um, I have actually been um, doing this type of work for about 20 years um, that I've devoted to this population. My husband kind of teases me because he says, you know, you're like an 80-year-old woman trapped in a 46-year-old body. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, but these are my kindred spirits. You know, it started out from a young age. My great-grandmother sat at her bedside while she was ill, and I just have a heart for people um, and, and the wisdom that, that the aging population has um, is just tremendous. I would love to see more people, um, younger people, appreciating what you have to offer because it's a lot. Um, so I wanted to share just some basic facts at first about, this is through the um, Alzheimer's Association, about this disease. can see, based on those facts and figures, this is a huge issue um, that is going to um, potentially devastate us financially as a country. Um, they already are seeing that we're not going to have enough professionals to care for, for people um, with this disease. That's why we've got to get more people wanting to, to help people. Um, it is just the cost of care is tremendous. I um, have several handouts for you. Um, <clears throat> I tend to throw a lot of information um, at people just because I feel like the more we know, the better we do. Um, but it can be overwhelming as well. But one of the, the handouts, and I, I have it here, I can pull it up. It's, it's kind of small, but it's, it's, called, it's dimension. It's an umbrella, a picture of an umbrella. But basically, dementia... Um, let me see if I can get this up here for you. That's it's really small. 
Um, <clears throat> see if I can get it any bigger for you. Maybe not. Um, okay, so basically dementia is an umbrella term that describes a collection of symptoms that are caused by disorders affecting the brain. It's not one specific disease. Dementia affects thinking, behavior, and the ability to perform everyday tasks and brain function is affected enough to interfere with a person's normal social or working life. So the most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. A lot of times people don't realize that, so you've got dementia, Alzheimer's is a subtype of dementia. And then there are also other types of dementias. There's vascular dementias, Lewy body dementia, frontotemporal dementias, and <clears throat> other um, dementias, which include dementias that are associated with Parkinson's disease. I work for the ALS Association. ALS, a lot of people don't realize you can, you can also have frontotemporal dementia with ALS. It's not, it's not real common, but you can. Um, and so there are these different types of dementias. Um, Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia. It's accounting for approximately 40 to 70 percent of all dementias. Um, I have in the handouts, um, a, a, there's one that has a picture of the brain and the different areas of the brain um, and, and how that impacts a person. Um, but I'm not going to go over all that for time's sake. I'll let you review that. Um, so. Also, um, you know, research, recent research, research has shown that, the, that Alzheimer's disease is the most feared disease next to cancer. I mean, people are just terrified of this disease, and you who have loved ones that have it understand why. Um, in a 2016 report, the um, number of people, so 4% of people that have Alzheimer's in the U.S. are under 65 15% are between 65 and 74, 44% are between 75 and 84, and 37% are 85 and older. Dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, it has no respect for socioeconomic status or lifestyle um, or achievement. All of us can be affected by this disease. Race and ethnicity do play um, an additional role. Nationwide, Hispanics are one and a half times as likely as whites to have dementia, and African Americans are twice as likely. Um, and they think that that may be due to um, a higher incidence of vascular issues within those um, populations, um, such as high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Um, and also, these populations are uh, much less likely to have an official diagnosis, and um, when they are um, diagnosed, they tend to be in the later stages of the disease. And they suspect that poverty and uh, lower incomes and also a healthy skepticism of healthcare systems may be um, in part um, to contribute. So I wanted us to look over what the 10 warning signs um, of, cogni of a cognitive deficit are. I'm going to pull that up for you. Am I speaking loud enough? Okay, I'm trying. <laughs> um, okay, let's see here. 
Okay, so the first thing that, um, let's see if I can make that easier. The first thing that we see um, as a warning sign is memory loss that disrupts the daily life. Um, we see that uh, another uh, warning sign is challenges in planning or solving problems. A third is difficulty completing familiar tasks. Fourth is confusion with time or place. Five is trouble understanding visual images and spatial relationships. Six is new problems with words in speaking or in writing. Seven is misplacing things and losing the ability to retrace steps. Eight is decreased or poor judgment. <clears throat> Nine is withdrawal from work or social activities. And ten um, is changes in mood and personality. And um, I wanted to um, tell you that you know, only 50% of people with Alzheimer's are actually formally diagnosed by a physician. And doctors just are not testing cognitive function enough. I mean, I don't know in this group how many of you, you know, obviously you go to the doctor. How many of you have had a physician actually test your cognitive function? One, three people out of this whole group of, okay, that is a problem. Okay, that is a problem. Um, a lot of doctors are taking the approach that it's um, degenerative and that there's no cure, so there's really nothing that can be done. And so they're just, they're not testing this enough. And so um, we need, that's more education that needs to be done within the healthcare system. Um, and 42% of people um, do not realize that they have the disease. And so that makes it even more frustrating for caregivers because, you know, you're living, they're living with this disease and they're in denial or either they just, because of the cognitive deficit, don't even realize that they have a cognitive deficit. Um, one of the things that I actually had an opportunity to do, and it was so incredibly powerful um, for me um, as a professional caregiver, a social worker that... Um, in my hospice work, I worked with a lot of people that had um, Alzheimer's and dementia. And Magda and Paulette can certainly attest to this. In, in hospice work, it used to be that cancer was the main diagnosis, but now it's becoming that it is being dominated by Alzheimer's um, and, uh, because this is, you know, um, a growing issue and problem. But I had an opportunity to do something called the Virtual Dementia, dementia Tour and it helped give me this incredible perspective of what it's like to have this disease. And I wanted to share with you a video. Earlier in the show, we introduced you to a revolutionary new tool called the Virtual Dementia Tour. Very exciting. It helps caregivers learn firsthand what it's like to step into the shoes of someone who suffers from dementia. Now, I recently had a chance to take this tour with three other caregivers, and I have to tell you, Bill, this was so emotional. It really was minutes that changed my life. Before beginning the virtual dementia experience, P.K. Bevel, the inventor of the VDT, shared some important insights and information. 
Millions of family caregivers out there are not good? trained, and they have a loved one living at home who is going deeper and deeper into the abyss. What is it that you see most in these people and that you hope most to give them? I think so many times families are uh, as struck by the disease as the person with dementia and they become immobilized. One of the ways they cope with it is to try to put a little bit of a screen between themselves and the person that they love. There are so many ways that people can introspectively look at this disease, and my hope is that this is their opportunity to do that. I'm about to do it, and I have little butterflies. Mm -hmm. I really do have little butterflies because I'm about, I'm about to experience something that my mom experienced, and my mom is gone, my grandma is gone, and it makes me feel closer to them. And I feel a little bit guilty because I didn't get to do it while they were living. Once a lot of family members who have experienced what you've experienced go through it, the first thing that lights up in their head is, wow, I wish I had known. The tour starts by being outfitted with devices that simulate certain aspects of dementia, along with physical impairments many seniors experience. The gloves cause loss of fine motor skills, so buttoning clothes becomes difficult. The goggles simulate macular degeneration and loss of peripheral vision. And the headphones restrict and distort hearing and comprehension. Once geared up, PK gave us some tasks to perform in about five minutes. All sound simple, similar to what our loved ones with dementia might need to do in their day lives. Fold all the towels, find the sweater, put it on, and button three buttons. Your time starts now. Winston is a devoted husband to his wife of 57 years who has Alzheimer's disease. I cannot find the money. I believe said 17 cents. Chella cares for her mom, who now lives in a facility due to worsening dementia. I heard you say something about a pill box, pill bottle. I just don't know where they are. And Maureen provides family support to her dad, whose memory problems are worsening. I really cannot hear what you're saying. Was I supposed to do something with the medicine? Oh my gosh, I was supposed to do something with the medicine. When it was over, we were all pretty stunned, but I didn't expect it to affect me so deeply. I don't think we appreciate how hard it was for them. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember three things she told me to do. It was just my bath, and it's just something I never experienced, and it's, it was different. Can you imagine being in an environment where you have this disease, and nobody's giving you the details? Oh, see there? Yeah. So, being isolated would be horrible. It would be great if our doctors who diagnosed our loved ones would, would prescribe this for us. Like, if we had had this four years ago, my husband and I could have been such better caregivers. I really feel that this population is so misunderstood yeah. and so undervalued. And this really does give us just a way to close the gap, as you say, a way to close the gap. So like I said, I had the opportunity to do that, and it was really powerful. Do you have a question? Uh, I went to a workshop one time, and there was a, uh, a fellow at Vanderbilt that was doing some research on smell tests. Mm -hmm. He said that was one of the, and he devised a smell test that says one of the earliest tests to measure whether or not a person has is beginning to develop Alzheimer's, that they forget, they, they cannot identify common 
ordinary smells, mm -hmm. and it's called a scratch test. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you. I have heard of it. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you scratch it, and one one of the smells would be clearly it's like lemon, mm -hmm. and another one is gasoline, and, and they, they couldn't do it. A person, a person beginning with Alzheimer's can't distinguish mm -hmm. between the two mm -hmm. as which one is as to which one is which, and mm -hmm. so I thought that was. It's very interesting. interesting. They didn't mention mm -hmm. in, in terms of symptoms that smell, not being a smell. And one of the signs that comes to the caregiver would be, uh, a, uh, for example, the smell of food or fire mm -hmm. that they don't, or smoke. Mm -hmm. You know, we smell it and we get alarmed, but mm -hmm. these, these people, they can smell it. Now, you can ask them, do, they, do you smell that? I say, sure. Mm -hmm. Sure, they smell it, but they don't identify mm -hmm. that, uh, what that is. And so mm -hmm. smelling is one of those things, one of those signs that... Um, Which is an, another uh, point as a social worker. A lot of times I go into situations and people say, well, I leave mama at home a little bit and I go run errands and their mother has, you know, memory issues. And I'm like, no, you have to look at this as if, would you leave a, a six-week-old baby in a crib and go run errands? No, you wouldn't do that. You know, you, you can't do that. And to my point, even for safety, if there is a smell issue, then the house is on fire. They may not be smelling this, you know what I mean? And, and it's not safe. But thank you for bringing that up because you're right. I have heard of that. Um, I don't know if, if it's currently being used as, you know, um, testing someone for it, but it, they're certainly doing research about it. Um, and it is very interesting. So I, one of the handouts, um, and we're, we're not going to go over this, but just about, um, you know, stressors um, with caregivers. 60% um, of caregivers rate that their stress is very high. 40% of caregivers suffer from depression. And I, as I mentioned before, like with my friend, grieving the relationship that they used to have while navigating their current relationship with the person that has Alzheimer's. Um, and then 62% uh, are women, usually wives and daughters. 34% of caregivers are over the age of 65, which I am constantly dealing with caregivers who are um, elderly themselves and then taking care of their elderly um, loved one, and, and so there's challenges in that as well. Um, they, I had an opportunity to go to a workshop. It's, it's actually one of the best workshops that I've ever been to, um, and I would highly encourage you to um, look at her website. Her name is Tipa Snow, mm -hmm. and it's tipasnow.com. It's T-E-E-P-A-S-N-O-W.com. She is, she is phenomenal, and she's an expert educator, on dementia. She has a lot of videos um, on how to interact with people who have dementia. And basically, you know, she says people just, they don't know what they're facing until they're in the thick of it. And then they're being asked to be caregivers and they, they can't know all the resources that are out there. They don't know what the government does or does not provide. And um, she actually came up with a concept which is um, called the positive approach to care. So I, I really cannot stress enough, definitely go to her website. You will learn, you will come away having learned uh, valuable information. Could you repeat that information one more time? Sure, it's T-E-E-P-A, snow, S-N-O-W, dot com. So um, 
this disease obviously is, um, as, as I mentioned before, financially, it's, it can be a devastating disease. Um, there is uh, so little that is being done um, to get our heads around this in a timely fashion. It's going to be a public health care crisis, and we're so scared that we're just avoiding it. And that's why I'm so glad that I'm here today, and I'm so glad that you are doing this here at Otter Creek, that you're having the education, that you're informing people about these issues. Um, I always think being proactive is better than getting into a crisis situation and then trying to figure it out. Um, so this is a very good thing. Um, the middle class is being especially hard hit um, by this disease. On average, um, 10500 per year is the out-of-pocket expense for health care and long-term care cost with this disease, and that is not include, you know, that's even including that you may have Medicare or Medicaid as a payer source. That's additional money that's coming out of your pocket. And then um, people with a similar age that don't have dementia, annually they spend about 2500 on health care costs. So you can see 10,500 per year versus 2,500, that's a big difference. Um, people with dementia still have a heart and um, we just have to find creative ways of accessing that. And there's some really interesting um, work that's being done um, actually here in Nashville. Um, there is a place, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Abe's Garden. And Abe's Garden is a multidisciplinary research um, and in industry best practices um, facility that um, has created an environment um, for people with dementia. I mean, everything from different colors um, for them to follow to go to different areas of the facility, changing the um, flooring so that they're aware that they're getting ready to go into a different area. Um, they're doing a lot of groundbreaking things, um, and, and um, that's a facility that uh, is definitely worth looking up um, called Abe's Garden in, in uh, Nashville. Um, another uh, thing that's a really interesting type of therapy is called validation therapy, and I'm going to show you a video um, by the woman that founded this. When people are very old and deteriorated and no one enters their world and they're just sitting there, they will withdraw inward more and more. And their desperate need for, for connection is all now inside. And if a person is all alone, even if they're very, very deteriorated, there's a longing for this kind of closeness. Mrs. Wilson? Hello. You want me to sit? Do you see me good? Gladys Wilson is a wonderful example of a person who was in the phase of repetitive motion, where people use movements, repetitive movements, because they don't have any more speech or very little speech. But they have human needs that need to be expressed. You cry. Crying, you have a tear right here in your face. You have a little pain, you want me to touch you? 
Say, can you see me? Is it scary? Are you afraid? And if this person sits with their eyes closed, rocking back and forth, and maybe there's a tear coming down, there's a need there. There's a little tear that's coming out. Do you feel it? You feel a little tear? If you gently use touch, and I touched Gladys Wilson for the fingertips right here on the cheek is where the mother usually touched a child. If you touch an infant there, it looks up, and every cell remembers where it was touched by the mother. And often that person knows, even if they can't say a word at that moment, they won't talk, but or they don't want to talk, but they are, there's, there's a communication. And that person is no longer alone. Can you let me in a little bit? You think? Just a little? You think I could be with you and Jesus for a minute? Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. I use music. Because when speech is gone, music, especially with Gladys Wilson, it was religious music, because there's emotion that's tied to it and safety tied to it. So I used her old church song. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What I did was, when she moved, I moved with her, and when I was singing, because she didn't sing with me, so I matched the intensity of my voice to the intensity of her movement, and pretty soon, for a split second, we became one person. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So at one point, when she got very quiet and very peaceful, and my voice became very quiet as hers and very peaceful and my breathing slowed to her breathing. She pulled me to her and I moved with her. And for her at that moment, I believe I was a symbol of, of her mom. Can you open your eyes now? Can you see me? Feel safe and warm? Got the whole world in his hands. He's 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 got the mothers and the fathers. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hands. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The breakthrough doesn't happen every time. A person will not always look their open their eyes and look at you. But if you keep trying and you send, keep centering yourself 
and uh, really look at that person and really mirror their movements. Maybe not this time, but the next time you come, you'll have a communication. You feel safe. You feel safe with Jesus and me. Very good. So powerful. And the the lady there in the video, Naomi, she's a social worker, and she um, she founded that type of therapy. Um, another video that I want to show you about just the power of music. This is incredible. There's a documentary. Um, it's an amazing documentary called Alive Inside. And this is a, a piece from that. Some of you maybe saw this floating around on the internet, I don't know, um, but it is really great. I have one resident that nearly opened her eye, she didn't respond. As much as I tried, it worked for two years. No matter what I tried, massage wouldn't work, nothing worked. Oh, sorry. The iPods and the family told me the things that she liked. It was amazing once we put the iPod on her. I'm, I'm trying. She started moving her feet. She started moving her, her head. Her son was just amazed. Okay, can we stop? <laughs> I'm seeing her all over again. Like this. 
he didn't really talk to much people. And then when I introduced the music to him, this is his, his reaction ever since. <laughs> the philosopher Kant once called music the quickening art, and Henry has been quickened, he's been brought to life. Yeah. I'm going to take the music for one second, okay? Just right. to ask you a few questions. Okay? Thank you. I'm going to give it back to you. Uh -huh. Okay. The effect of this doesn't stop, because when the, uh, the headphones are taken off, uh, Henry, normally mute and virtually unable to answer the simplest yes or no questions, is quite voluble. Henry? Yeah? Um, uh, do you like the iPod? Do you like the music you're hearing? Yes. Tell me about your music. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't have one, I mean. Do you like music? Yeah, I'm crazy about music. You play beautiful music, beautiful sound. Did beautiful. You, did you play music when you were, uh, were you, did you like music when you were young? Yes, yes, I went to big dances and things. What was your favorite music when you were young? Well, uh, I guess, uh, well, Cab Calloway was my number one band. <laughs> Yeah, what's your favorite favorite Cab Calloway song? Oh, I'll be on the Christmas. You can complain on me with plenty of snow near the toe. Present, red brand new tree, ow! <laughs> Remembered uh, who he is, and uh, he's, he's reacquired his, his identity for a while through the power of music. What, what does music do, do to you? It, it gives me the feeling of love, no, no match, because right now the world needs to come into music. Singing, you got beautiful music in. Beautiful, oh, lovely. And uh, I feel the band of love, dream. Lord came to me, made me holy, I'm a holy man. So he gave me this sound. So they say, I'm me too. Rosalie, won't you love me? Rosalie, with this beautiful new technology, you can have all the music which is significant for you in something as big as a matchbox or, or whatever. And I think this, this, this may be very, very important in uh, helping to animate, organize, uh, and uh, bring a sense of identity back to people who are, who are out of it. Otherwise, music will bring them back into it, into their own personhood, their own memories, so you maybe heard before that uh, music is a universal language understood by all mankind and as you can see um, it made a huge impact for this gentleman. I think a lot of times as um, caregivers uh, we feel very helpless with this disease and these are ways that um, we can work to try to connect with people. Um, 
So I wanted to share those with you. I also would recommend checking out um, Nashville Public Television did a series called Aging Matters. I don't know if maybe they brought that up in this group before, but it's really good. Um, a lot of great information there. And um, in your handouts, um, I did provide a, um, there's a sheet in there that has psychosocial strategies. This is another reason why professionals are really important in this process because um, social workers like myself, we're trained um, in, in different therapies like this um, when working with people that have um, cognitive impairment. Um, also on this sheet, it also has a, a list of, of things that you absolutely never should, to, should do with people who have memory impairment, like, you know, instead of arguing, you should agree. Instead of reasoning, you should divert. Um, instead of shaming, you distract. Instead of lecturing, you reassure. Um, when another thing is saying, remember, you know, that's just natural for us to want to say that to someone who's forgotten, but you reminisce instead. Um, you try to avoid saying, I told you, and you just repeat. Um, you also um, try not to say you can't instead of do what you can. Um, command or demand, you ask or model behavior. Um, you don't try to force, you try to reinforce, and you don't try to be condescending, you encourage or praise. What I do want to say with that is caregivers, we all have had those moments where we've been frustrated and angry and we deal with the guilt of that. It's normal. It's part of being a caregiver. You know, all caregivers go through, through frustration um, and through feelings of guilt, and it's part of the process. Yes? Since there have been a study, since so many, so many sports, you know, football and soccer yes. in their heads, Head injury is, is something that they're thinking may contribute. And as well as I work for the ALS Association, and we're uh, finding that a lot of um, uh, football players and other people that have head, head, head injuries um, have could potentially that could be contributing. We don't know that for sure. But also um, military is twice as likely to get ALS, and um, not Alzheimer's, but ALS, and, and they think it's because of the rigorous training that um, goes through with, sport, with athletes and also with military. Um, but again, we don't know for sure, but yes, they, have, they are looking at that. So um, just to kind of uh, wrap up, because I want to leave some time if you have any questions, you know, there's unexpected gifts with people um, when you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. And um, I, I've, I'll never forget, I had this one client that, um, oh, I loved her so much. And uh, she um, obviously had Alzheimer's. And her caregiver and I were sitting with her one day. And I just want to say we weren't laughing at her. We were laughing with her. But there was a Time magazine and we picked it up and we said, hey, um, and, and it was a, a famous doctor on the cover of this magazine. We said, hey, who is this doctor? And she, she said, Dr. Seuss. It was actually Dr. Oz. But in her mind, she remembered, you know, Dr. Seuss. And anyway, we thought that was so funny. But um, her personality, um, you know, I call it windows. Sometimes you will have these little windows where you get to see that person um, again. And then this might be one, too, that you saw. Um, it's just very, very short, but uh, very precious uh, video. 
um, that definitely was circulated around on uh, the internet, um, but I just love it. For those of you who haven't seen it. Do you know you're my mama? You do? Uh -huh. A while ago you said you didn't know I was your mama. Well, you act like my mama. Act like your mama? Mm -hmm. I'm saying you're my mama. I'm your mama? Yeah. All right, I'll be your mama. <laughs> now, do you think that I, I would lay here with just anybody? No. I think you want to have to love them if they want to. Yeah, you do have to love them to lay down with them like this. Yeah. And I love you, Mama. I love you. But you, you did. <laughs> do you know who I am, though? Uh -huh. Who? Uh, Kelly. Yes, Mama. Yes, I am Kelly. Uh huh. Well, I love Kelly. <laughs> and didn't I name you Kelly? Yes, you did. <laughs> well, I love you, Kelly. I love you, Mama. <laughs> I thought you, a while ago, you didn't know who I was. I know it well. It was something because when I have some fears, I get here. And I was, I'm thinking, my Lord, what in the world am I thinking about? <laughs> you are? Yeah. And what are you thinking about right now? Well, I, I'm loving you. I'm loving you too, Mama. Oh, well, we're both doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't it wonderful? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is. I love that he that the story was recorded to share, and that is the reminiscing that's so powerful with people that have memory issues. I talked with Terry Guy one time. I was taking care of her husband. He had Alzheimer's for several years, and she said to me something. She said, "I am a married widow." See, the man that I married is gone. But I'm still, I'm still taking care of this. She said, "I'm a married widow." I thought, "Ooh, how just a yes, that is powerful." It sure is. Thank you so much for letting me come. Do any of you have any questions that I can answer? I know we're we've got about five minutes here. No questions? All right. Well, there are several handouts, and I hope that it was helpful to you, and I appreciate you letting me come. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. You have a great Thank you. Job. Thank you.